1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Be sure to follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the Reformed African American Network president and founder, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's going on, brother?
0: Man, I hate to start off on kind of a a somber, depressing note, but I'm tired, man. Um, I am tired of Sin, injustice, and death. We just lost a church member today. Oh, he died. He, he was admitted to uh, the hospital for pneumonia and was in the ICU for weeks and weeks, and he just passed away. And what makes it even more um, heartbreaking is he was the executive director of the YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club in, in town hmm, and man. came and started it you know, basically from scratch, had had a massively positive impact on countless kids lives. And he had just adopted a um, young teenage boy, Hmm. taking him into his home. I mean, you know, a year or two, you know, if that and um, and he and he's passed away. So this 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 poor kid has lost um, his biological parents and now his adoptive parent as well. So
1: Man, I hate to hear that, brother. Man, my condolences to your church family, man.
0: Yeah, but hey, a life well lived, um, and you know, well done, good and faithful servant is is I hope what he's hearing now. And I certainly know we we have listeners in the throes of of sorrows, whether it be from death or mm-hmm. uh, sickness or whatever. And uh, I hope I hope I hope you allow yourself to lament. And feel the sadness. I hope you do it in community and not alone. And in these times, we're sort of at a loss for words, except to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah, man, it is comforting to know that, you know, precious in the sight of the Lord um, is the death of his saints, man. And it's it's actually personally very encouraging as well, just because my uncle's birthday was last week, and um as some of y'all know he passed away um about a month and a half ago, or about a month ago, I should say. And that was the first of my father's siblings to pass. He has seven siblings, and so it was the first one to pass. And so that brought a lot of anguish and pain, and over this past week, we had to relive some of that, so... Knowing that he was a believer and that he trusted Christ before he passed was the comfort and the solace. But yet the pain still exists. We live in this broken and fallen world, and until Christ and Christ comes and makes all things new, we will yet wrestle with uh, this pain. So it's definitely something that we we send our prayers out to everyone who is going through loss and pain, and and even in the midst of this, Jamar, we have another hashtag.
0: Oh, bruh, yeah. So. My first reaction to Jordan Edwards, the young man who was killed um, this week as of this recording, he was uh, he was at a party, high school party. He was a freshman in high school, 15
1: years old, man,
0: 15 the party got a little loud, got a little rowdy. Somebody called the police to kind of cal- uh, come and calm things down to his credit and the folks he was with, they were leaving. Uh, they said, Hey man, this is, this is, you know, we, we, we need to leave this situation as they were leaving a police officer. This is in Dallas, um, shot into the car and, uh, struck young Jordan in the head. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. What got me as I was reading the description was his brother, 16 years old was driving and they drove another block before. Uh, the article said um, mm. he noticed smoke was coming from his brother's head, who was in the passenger oh God, seat, man. and that's when he knew. That's when he knew. So, mm. uh, you know, and 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 here's the thing, right? We're going to talk about justice, but let's first talk about the loss, the very early loss of an image bearer. And yes, according to all accounts so far. Jordan was a straight A kid, friends with everybody, two parent household. All of those things, all of those things that people would bring up as excuses to say, well, maybe he brought it on himself. Yeah, he, man, none of that. Don't, apply, to, none don't of apply that. Don't apply to him. And none of it matters. It doesn't matter because this young man lost his life. And as believers, that's where we start, and and we lament and we weep for the family for this young man and for the community of which he was a part. So yeah, Jordan also, Edwards, we say your name.
1: Yeah. Um And, and mu- much more will come out. This is still very fresh and raw for us within 24 hours of it happening. We were doing this recording, so we didn't want to let the recording pass without saying something. Also recognizing that by the time this podcast is released, we might have a verdict on the Alton Sterling situation mm. um, as well. So, A lot of pain, and I'm not ready. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, And and if you think that, if you're wondering why we say that, uh, it's because we've seen this before, and maybe we'll be surprised. Likely not. So um, we'll we'll see what happens. But it's just um, with that domestically, and then also international injustice as well. Always remembering the persecuted church and and the injustice that. Believers across uh, the world are facing consistently from authoritarian regimes and from um, terrorists and, and other religious fundamentalists. So it's definitely something for us all at once to to grieve and to wrestle with. And um, it just reminds us that self care is important. Get off social media if you need to. Uh, retreat if you need to. Um, grab a, grab some friends to go and pray if you need yes. to. Uh, cry if you need to. Those things are important. The secondary trauma is real, and so mm. we cannot deny that. Um, so that's just something we wanted to say at the beginning. Definitely wanted to make mention of these situations. And um, so now let's move on to something that's a little bit different. It's a. Uh, it's not any <laughs> <laughs> people are like Still ah. This is, of pota- <laughs> this is small This is small potatoes. Nah, this is important too. Um, it's important. We got work to do. Absolutely. So there was a photo that was released by the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area over this past and week. D- I'm glad you got it right, because a lot of people want to say Southern Seminary
0: no. or just Southern Baptist. This is Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary.
1: You know, what's interesting was I was looking at the notable alumni for SW uh, BTS, and I was shocked. So we have very famous names. So we have Rick Warren... Uh, Louis Giglio, Charles Stanley, Paul Washer. This was one that actually got me was Bill Moyers. Do you know Bill (laughs) Moyers has an MDiv?
0: I did not know yet.
1: Isn't that crazy? Like Bill Moyers has an MDiv from from Southwestern. That's nuts to me. But so anyway, so they released a photo of a school of preaching, released a photo uh, that Set social media on fire, I guess is the only way to describe it. <laughs> In honor of a professor, I believe that was leaving, Dr. Vern Charette, and he was leaving. And so they, um, I believe he was leaving, correct? Is that, is that right? That's, Gemma?
0: that's right. Yeah, he took a, a, a pastorate somewhere else. And so this was like a farewell picture. <laughs> so, a souvenir.
1: Uh, and so they decided that what they would do is dress up as gangsterish as possible. Uh, complete with bandanas and chains and hoodies and sweaters hoodies. and a gun as well, caps backwards. A real gun, yeah, an actual uh, weapon. Um, which is probably, as it appears. yeah, which which is probably the most infuriating part of the photo. Um, is is the weapon that was brandished with a smile, and they put Notorious SOP, which stands for School of Preaching. And immediately the photo was decried. People pushed back. Um, to their credit, Southwestern pulled the photo down um and also issued an apology. And then that led to some online Twitter conversation as well. Um, with people like Lecrae and with people mm. who are also outside of the faith as well. And Lecrae gave us a nice little shout out, so shout out to Lecrae for that um yes. as well. But Jamar, you wrote about this in a really small outlet called, um, it's a, it's an outlet that people are just starting to really find out about called the Washington (laughs) Post. And you talked Uh, about, yeah, (laughs) you talked about this and that was a controversial article as well. But tell us your thoughts and what your initial reaction was to this controversial and insensitive. I think we'll make that case in a little bit, but insensitive photo.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, for people who haven't seen it, I think most of our listeners probably would be aware of it. But these are all sort of middle-aged or older, it looks like, white men. And so that was really the like jarring part of seeing this photograph is you wouldn't traditionally picture folks like this wearing clothes like this. So I did write about it in uh, the Washington Post in, a, in an article entire, entitled Why a Racially Insensitive Photo of Southern Baptist Seminary Professors Matters. And, and what I tried to do in the article was, was just kind of dissect that initial reaction that people have when they see this photo because it was widespread that when people saw it, they were like, what the heck? what are these folks thinking why are they doing this this makes no sense so i broke it down into basically three issues i i had personally with the photos first of all i compared it to um sort of caricatures that historically have happened in terms of black people uh you can think all the way back starting in the early 19th century when white actors would apply black makeup to their faces they would exaggerate their lips you know and and it'd be a caricature of african-american looks and then to go on stage and do silly things now that isn't exactly that and i'm not at all attributing uh, motives to these men. But I think there's a principle within there that says, you know, putting on clothes to to sort of as entertainment value um, kind of harkens back to this history of dehumanization i also said that another problem is that th- this was not like a candid shot you know folks walking along and say hey let me get a picture no this was a staged shot i mean these guys are posing they obviously chose their wardrobe who mm-hmm. about background yeah, got yeah. somebody to take the picture you know scheduled the time to meet up there was a lot of thought it seems like that went into this and at no point Did anyone say, hey, this might not be a good idea or, you know, we all know what we mean, but we probably don't want to capture it for eternity in a photo. That didn't happen. And that sort of leads to what I think is the biggest problem, which doesn't even show up in the picture, which is sort of the the culture in which a photograph like this can arise and thought to be a good or an amusing idea. What that tells me is among these men in the photo mm-hmm. and probably even at the leadership level, there is a, a paucity of meaningful interaction with racial and ethnic minorities and people from different cultures, right. uh, because that kind of contact would uh, what a clue you in as to No matter your motives, what may be considered racially insensitive to other people. So I just tried to unpack that a little bit in the article.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. And I think it was incredibly helpful. You also got a shout out from someone in Hollywood named Don Cheadle. So that was cool.
0: (laughs) Don Cheadle. you, You may know him as War Machine from Iron Man movies and The Avengers, as well as many other works. So thank you, Don Cheadle. Um, I really wanted to quit social media after that. When, when Don <laughs> hey, Don Cheadle, Cheadle subscribe to, to the tweet. podcast.
1: Subscribe to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for you know, thanks for highlighting. Yeah. Appreciate you. And so what a lot of people are attempting to say in the initial reaction is, okay, well, this is insensitive for sure, but it's it's not a race thing. It's not racial. It's not racist. And, you know, if you've been involved in this conversation for any length of time, you'll understand the problematic nature of that framing to begin with. You know, the, the need to immediately declare what is or isn't a real racial issue. And by people in the majority culture, and we'll, we'll touch on people in the minority culture as well a little bit later. But when we talk about people in the majority culture dictating and telling people of color, what is and isn't worth our attention when it comes to racism, and also not putting this within the larger narrative of problematic portrayals and problematic incidences within the body of Christ, particularly in the South, particularly in certain denominations. I think it was really tone deaf, some of the responses that I heard. And and in fairness to you, you did not say that any of these men were racist. You did not, not say that, which is, you know, that that would kind of be the third rail anyway to touch. But you didn't say that. You just simply said this represents an insensitivity. This represents a blind spot that must be corrected. So when you hear these responses that say, Well, this isn't a racing, this isn't racism, this isn't racial, it's just insensitive. Don't worry about it. It's just insensitive. What does that hearken to you? What does that? How does that make you feel as the writer of an article and also as a black man?
0: <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it it is it is not the folks who have the sort of social, cultural, political advantage. It is not their place to say what should and shouldn't be offensive to marginalized people. Um, it, it it strikes me as Like you said, very tone deaf, uh, very out of touch. And here's the thing. It doesn't have to be this incident that is that causes universal outrage or incredible tears or pain or anything like that. What it is is a reminder that you are other Mm, and that
1: yeah, that's good
0: representations of you can be taken on and pulled off for merely entertainment value right um and i think there's much more to it and it's much more serious even on a just almost a superficial level although i think it's very important folks who dress like this put a lot of work and thought into it right i mean right, to them right. that's a it represents a culture right it's a, it's an art form it's a style and uh even just on that level of a, of a cultural artifact it, it sort of devalues the creativity um and 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 the culture creation that sure. goes into this yeah but that's, that's the- just on a very you know surface level
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Also, it's very important to talk about the gun, like the presence of the gun and the fact that gun brandishing in open, overt ways, even toys that resemble guns can get young black men killed on a a regular basis. And so the insensitivity to, to brandish a weapon and to wield it around and to, you know, the cultural angle is important. But that angle right there, that insensitivity—it's like, well, That's right. what were you doing when Tamir Rice was shot? What Come were on. you doing when these popular situations of young black men who were believed to be armed and weren't, or were armed with toy guns or or things that looked like weapons? Where were you when that happened? And I think that that naturally, as a black That's person, right. it it says, well, what's where's, where's your empathy to actually say, man, my brothers. If, I, if they walked around like this, would they have the same privilege? Would they have the same ability? Would they have the same freedom to brandish an, an actual weapon? And I think that's a, a very important part, probably the most important part of the photo, yes. I think.
0: So this is this is the crux of it to me about the outfits, right? Regardless of who can or does wear this clothing, these men, I think it's reasonable to assume they don't dress like this on a frequent basis, right? This is this is an occasion for them. And it strikes me that you can put this clothing on or take it off and you know, no big deal, but for put put a young African American in those in same clothes and Tamir rice, he had a toy gun and it got him killed. Um, Trayvon Martin was wearing a hoodie, which was part of a a generalization, an overgeneralization sure. that somebody painted a, a about him, yeah, a, st- a, a stereotype, and it got him killed. And the people, particularly people of color who dress like this or for whom this is part of their culture, they can't take it on and take it off. This follows them and it labels them in a society that has stereotyped them as thugs, as criminals, right, as right. threatening. And that's what gets me, right? Yeah, like these men, they don't they don't have a care in the world wearing not only wearing these clothes, but as you said, brandishing what looks like a real gun, without any fear that they'll be mistaken for someone else or someone dangerous and perhaps have their lives put in danger that's right. what really stings
1: yeah that's very that's very interesting it's also important to kind of talk about what we mean when we when we say stereotypes versus you know like a generalization right and yeah. i think I've, I've heard some people classify it as saying you know when you when you use a generalization It's intended to be very conscious, very thoughtful. It's also intended to be helpful, um, generally. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, maybe making a comment about the family atmosphere in a, in the majority of black communities or making a comment about the black church and the vibrancy of their worship would be kind of a generalization, right? But that's actually something that's, analytical, that's conscious, that's also incredibly helpful. But stereotypes are typically like very quick reflexive actions. Like, let's dress like this because that's how they would act. And it's an otherizing as well. So when we talk about stereotypes, stereotypes, and people have said this, they're like, well, if, if you guys are getting offended at this, this means that, oh, you're saying that all black people do dress like this, which is nonsensical because stereotypes are never literally true. They're, they're simplifications. And so when you simplify the way that a group of people naturally act or naturally dressed, what you're doing is you're not thoughtfully portraying them in a helpful way. You know, this this kind of goes back to, you know, the first John three idea that we don't love each other in just word and talk, but also in deed and in truth as well. So in the application of how we treat our brothers who may be of a different culture, who may be of a different um, indigenous uh, cultural expression. How do we treat them in a way that dignifies them practically indeed and also in truth, which is very important? How do we truthfully represent them as image bearers of God? And so when we think about the ways in which that is, um, done and, and man, if, if we go back five, six, seven, eight years, we might have been asleep to this, <laughs> to use Jamar's, uh, sleep woke. <laughs> favorite analogy, but we might've been asleep to this, but now we recognize, okay, well, these things are actually unhelpful because they reflexively portray a culture in a hurtful way, in a, in a, a very uh, casual way, rather than thoughtfully saying, how would this either uplift or actually tear down brothers who might dress like this and image bearers who might identify with this cultural expression?
0: Yeah, and I'd even nuance it a little bit more, right? Simplification in and of itself is really a necessity. Our brains have to categorize. I mean, we can't analyze every situation and every sort of stimulus in its own isolated context. We have to connect it to past experiences. There's all the cognitive science behind that. But, But a stereotype is an oversimplification. It's an overgeneralization, which leads to right. negative perception, right? It's a caricature, right? yeah. It's a caricature, exactly. And I would also say, you know, the, the notorious SOP scrawled at the top, clearly yeah, harkens Yeah, that's not Eminem, you know.
1: People are <laughs> like, ah, well, what about Eminem? You know, that's not Eminem, you know.
0: That is not Eminem, that's Notorious B-I-G, Big E-R-I-P. Uh, And it clearly harkens back to a black person, a black rapper, black culture, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And To me, it was okay. So so the major pushback I got on the article was some of what you mentioned, which is that, um, you know, you're being racist or you're stereotyping by assuming that all people dress like this. Well, number one, I'm not it's not a race thing. It's not.
1: But but that's you know how people start that. They say, well, it's not a race thing, actually. And then they say three comments down. Well, actually, it's racist for you. (laughs) <laughs> You're like, wait, well, I thought it wasn't a race thing. Like, how does it become a race thing magically when it suits your argument? Anyway, keep exactly.
0: going. Well, the, uh, the, the other argument is related. And I'll just read what uh, one person wrote because I think it encapsulates really what I'm trying to say. And this particular person said, uh, the only problem is you never discuss that this type of attire – is not foreign to others that aren't African American this doesn't work referring to the article he goes on to say this was definitely a poor choice to put this on social media and let people twist it in every way but racism is not on display here not in all caps
1: Yeah why why are people so confident to say that you know if you say racism is definitely not I was in a conversation with someone and they asked a question and said, do you think I was being racist in this scenario? And I didn't say yes. I I felt like it's a, it's a trap question, but I said, well, you, you may have, you could be. And they were like, no, I, I totally disagree with that. Well, how are you so sure? You know, if you are sure that you didn't sin yet knowing, and these are, reform people too. So it's like, well, you know, you recognize the power and the pervasiveness of, of sin in a broken and fallen world. How are you so sure? How are you so positive that sin was not present here? Not just an unwise move, not just a mistake, but actual sin in the representation of image bearers. That always it incredibly confuses me.
0: And along, along with that, it's the idea that Every black person has to find this offensive for it to be, quote unquote, legitimately offensive. (sighs) No, (laughs) number one, that will never happen because black people are not monolithic in their sentiments. But Black people can be wrong too. (laughs) Black people, oh (laughs) Lord, we're going to talk about that. Um, But yet there were enough people on all sides of the color line who were just like, what? And honestly, I was saying this before we uh, started recording. It's really hard for me to explain what is racially insensitive about it because it's so blatantly obvious. It's <laughs> right. one of those things. It's almost
1: too obvious. It's hidden in plain exactly. sight.
0: Exactly. Right? It's hidden in plain sight. It's one of those things that's so straightforward. It's like, I can't break it down for you anymore. You, you, you just got to see it. Plus two is four. I can represent it for you a couple different ways, but I can't simplify it much more than it already is. Right. Well, so it, it, it's been interesting trying to see see these reactions and trying to figure out how to respond in a way. And a I really think it comes from, to be honest, is this of either the institution because people have some sort of personal connection there, or it is a defense. Of Kind of what evangelicalism or maybe they've even done something similar and we don't know about, it, but they're yeah, kind of incredibly sensitive ending their own actions.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I, I really think it's coming from a much deeper place than just this cognitive. Intellectual right. objection. Well, you can't say that all black people dress like that. I don't think that's. I think right. it's coming from a personal place.
1: Yeah, that, now it's interesting, you know, because you mentioned the idea that people within the black community can also co-sign, you know, very harmful portrayals. And I saw some some black people who publicly defended the photo, or at least sought to minimize and dismiss the offense, and. I think we should speak to that because it's very interesting. Now, let me make it clear. People are entitled to have whatever opinion that they want to have. That is not, we're not saying that we are the uh, the sole representation of Black opinion and people have to agree with us. Otherwise, it's problematic. No, you can believe and think whatever you would like to think and you're entitled to your own opinion. Now, I think there's a couple of things that should be mentioned, though, that there is a problem with two main things that... I've seen in some of the reactions by uh, Black brothers and sisters as they talk about this. The first is the speed with which they dismiss the offense of fellow Black brothers and sisters. Wow! Now, this is very important because a lot of these people would say that injustice is real. We're not talking about people who would deny the presence of injustice or racial bias, etc., and even just in my own circle of influence, I've said, you know, this is, this is interesting because you would say that racial injustice does exist and you would say that the church should care about it. But you would just say, oh, this isn't something that, this isn't a hill that we should die on. This isn't something that we should say is important in the grand scheme of things. We should focus on the big incidents. Well, I would caution you because in the smaller incidents, you're actually giving a pretext for majority culture to step in and determine what is and isn't right for us to talk about. Mm. And what you're also doing is you're also giving them a sense of absolution because if they find one person of color who doesn't find said incident offensive or said incident problematic, then now they have justification to say, well, I shouldn't listen to any people of color about it. And that's an improper portrayal. So actually what I think people are doing and they don't realize it is giving a pretext For people to step outside of the racial reconciliation conversation when they find enough black people who say it's not a big deal. And that's, again, the pitting of blackness against each other that people are not paying attention to. And then the second thing is when people say something to the effect of, you know what, you know, Southwestern, don't even worry about this. Don't worry (laughs) about it. And that's so dangerous because it gives it encourages white absolution rather than white introspection. And so instead of reflecting and saying, well, what can we do to make sure that we do not offend a large majority of our black brothers and sisters and make sure that we are sensitive to our own blind spots? What instead we've done is said, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Even if you think the picture isn't that offensive to say, don't even worry about it is setting an awful precedent in racial. How do you do racial reconciliation when you said, don't even worry about this photo? If, if people aren't willing, to step aside and put their own preferences and their own biases to the side based upon a photo. How are you going to convince them to give up money, power, influence, resource? How are you going to convince them to do that if they're not, if you're not willing to hold their, their feet to the fire on a photo, people are like this is small. No, actually this is big because if you are willing to hang on to a photo and, and not worry about that, when it comes time to write a check, you think you are just going to write that check and then pass it off? Like that's, what, like, how does this work? So I, I think that's really important to to emphasize for those people who have been defending it.
0: So you, you bring up a couple of very important points that I'll just put an exclamation point on. One, you're saying, uh, well, here's how I wish African Americans who, who sort of disagreed that, you know, they, they, they didn't think this was offensive. I wish they had said, you know what, I don't find this personally offensive. Here's why. But I see how someone else may think this is offensive or insensitive, Uh, basically saying, you know, we don't all have the same opinion, but I can see how someone can have it. Because to just say this isn't offensive or this isn't insensitive, (laughs) that declarative statement, right, a declarative statement to sort of invalidate a person's reaction, I don't think is helpful. So I, I, I wish they had made room for both. The other thing is. Here's what I believe is the heart of the issue is the lack of diversity, particularly at the leadership level. So if you read the article, that was where I spent most of my time. That was where I hoped most of the weight was in terms of my words. It's the fact that this picture, regardless of whether you thought it was sensitive, insensitive, it's representative. And as representative of a culture where, particularly at the leadership level, there's a lack of diversity. And if you go through and you it, it's just phenotypical, If you look at the pictures, it appears as if most uh, it appears as if the entire administration, the executive leadership, and the entire school of preaching, that faculty is white men. And if that's true, then in that context, You don't know what you don't know from a racial and cultural perspective, because you don't have anyone else there to come from a different perspective. And I believe it's in that context that you get racially insensitive actions, in this case a photo, but it could be words, it could be illustrations, it could be – and I've been in this situation, whether it's in class or church or or conversation, where someone will say – you know, they'll make a joke in, a, in an offhanded manner about a certain aspect of culture that for a person of color, for a minority is really because they don't have the same level of exposure or a diverse right. network. They don't see it as offensive. Yeah. They don't. It's a, it's it's funny and, and and that it's actually a, a sharp dart uh, toward a person of color or a minority in that context, because it, again, says I am other I am marginal. I am not the center here. And so for me, the crux of the issue is how is this particular seminary and to a larger degree white evangelicalism intentionally and persistently exposing themselves to other races, ethnicities and cultures so that they might have a fuller picture of the beautiful diversity of God's kingdom. That's the issue.
1: So let me say this, Jamar, I think two or three years ago that the presence of diverse representations would be an issue and it's still an issue, but you know what I've been thinking about? It's not enough to bring black people to the table if you're not willing to relinquish intellectual superiority. And I believe Uh. that so many of our white Christian brothers and sisters Find it odd in these moments to relinquish intellectual superiority so much so that they don't listen to black voices. And Mm. I've had situations that have been almost surreal. And this is why, you know, some people say this, this use this phrase ethnic Gnosticism. And and I'm going here, Mm. by the way. Some Mm. people use this phrase ethnic Gnosticism. And what it's an attempt to do is it's a purely intellectual term. Because what they're saying is, oh, well, well, you know what? You're, you're saying I can't say anything because I didn't live it. And that's just not, so it's an attempt to push away experience, to push away proximity and to delegitimize that proximity. Why? Because they have to have intellectual superiority in the argument. Notice how people claim and try to preserve that intellectual high ground. You got to relinquish that. If you want to have racial reconciliation, we can't even, and listen, I'm not the most educated guy. Um, I'm not the guy who has all the seminary degrees. Uh, Listen, listen, I'm I'm not the guy who's a PhD candidate. I'm not like, I fully recognize that there are a lot of things I don't know, a lot of things I can still learn. But if there's one thing I'm familiar with, it's with being black in America. And what I think a lot of people cannot even relinquish is that I might have a greater sense. Logic dictates that because I've lived this experience and because I'm studying this actively, that I might have a greater connection to how we should move forward in this particular area. If none other, if no other areas in this particular area, at least that. But I think what we've created in the reform subculture is this argumentative intellectual superiority where it's better to be right than compassionate. And so what we would do is we would, we would rather try to delegitimize our brothers and our sisters experience to say, no, 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 no. Let me find a way to rationally explain this because it doesn't make sense to me because I haven't lived it. And instead of listening to my brother or listening to my sister or listening to my friends, instead what I'm going to do is I'm just going to fight you rationally. And you'd say, well, what's most important? Brotherhood or being right? Like what's most important? the family of God, bearing with one another, or intellectual superiority. And listen, if you bring Black people to the table and they're always subservient to you, you're not listening to Black voices. Black voices are not teaching you. I question your diversity.
0: That's absolutely right. And I think what I'm speaking of white evangelicalism as a culture. If you break it down to the individual level, it's going to be varied. But I think as a as a culture, white evangelicalism tends to treat minority voices and what they're saying as suggestions. Take it. Boy, you can leave it. Boy, you can listen. act on it or leave it aside. Jamar Tisby. I am trying to say In as loving and as insistent way as I can, people are being hurt daily by racial insensitivity and let's face it, sometimes outright racism. And when you bring a minority to the table to hear their perspective, please don't merely take it as a suggestion. Act on it. What is actually changing? Just try it. (laughs) Just try it. I mean – uh, you know, a shout out again to 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 Lecrae because in in a, in a tweet of, of of response to the apology of hundred forty characters in, in the initial, he's like, okay, great. What are you guys going to learn from this? What are you what are you actually going to do about it? And then in the longer apology from SWP BTS President Paige Patterson, who's a past president of the of the SBT he basically recommitted verbally in this case in writing to you know good race relations but without any concrete steps articulated in that message yeah. about what's actually going to really change yep. and that's where i am i got a i got an extremely poignant uh, message a uh, uh, private message over facebook from a, a person of color who had attended uh, seminary and I'm and, and and this is a universal kind of so I'm not I'm not this is not particular to uh southwestern yeah but but she she this person poured out her heart um about a very difficult experience racially at seminary because this person was a minority and I can relate to that I've been a minority in white christian spaces most of my christian life and there are countless things Like this picture, which which are not, you know, not intentionally racist, but insensitive, out of touch that make you feel like, you know what? I'm I don't belong sort of a guest here. You know, Uh, I don't really belong here. And they're not they're not. I don't want to even say making room because we we have a place at the table, but it's not recognized. We and we ain't,
1: we ain't I got just no want, say in
0: the folks, menu, bro. We ain't got no say in the menu, bro. I just want that to change. And that was the point of the article is yeah. this is indicative of deeper issues of diversity, of racial, not only sensitivity, but responsiveness. Like, what are you going to do about right. it? And look, can we just say it? White evangelicalism has a race problem. And I say that with love. <sighs> I say that. um Knowing many, many people personally uh, who have loved me well, and and I love them, but at the same time, it is a historical and a structural issue that affects perceptions and yes. actions and attitudes to this day. And if we don't do something about it, we harm our witness in the world. And it's not our witness; it's the witness of Christ in this world. So, for His sake. We need to have a sense of urgency and action around issues of race and diversity in the church.
1: Yeah, I think um, that's well said, Jamar, because a huge part of this conversation is very simple. Are you willing to be inconvenience for your brother or your sister? Because we sure have been inconvenience for y'all. <laughs> uh, Jamar, see, I'm supposed to say that. I'm your anger translator. Uh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> that was my line, but it's okay. Okay. Um, But now I think some people have said, well, what were they supposed to do? And it's like, well, if they went to one black person, they might have said it's okay. So they should have gone to multiple black people and they should have had leadership and they should have had diversity in the administration. And they should, I say, yes, all of those, you know, to the extent that I want to make sure that I am valuing the perspective of my brother or my sister in Christ, all that is small potatoes. All that is easy to do if I love you. Mm. And if we love each other, we should be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the other. That's, that's where racial reconciliation will really take root. And I think too many people are wanting to stand pat and have racial reconciliation without giving up, um, stuff that hurts. Mm. So to the extent that I can have reconciliation and not be personally inconvenienced, that's what some people want. And, and I'll tell you and that's just we can't that's not love, man. That's not love, bro. You know, we just gotta say that. that's not love, man. That's that's selective. But go ahead, Jamar. Right.
0: I mean giving being inconvenienced and giving up power and changing and being uncomfortable for the sake of your brother and sister in Christ. I mean that's what it requires. And it's really discouraging um, to see particularly white evangelicals sort of dismiss this as not a big deal. <sighs> no, it's not gonna it's not gonna keep me up at night. It's not gonna uh, uh, break my heart to see this picture. But in a way, it's cumulative. It's not just this one incident. It's countless incidents that, as we've said repeatedly, communicate that as a person of color, I don't really belong here. I'm a guest at your table, which is not true. This is Christ's table. And none of us has the right to exclude anyone, uh, particularly on the basis of of their race or culture. And so until institutions, schools, congregations, denominations that are predominantly white and evangelical recognize that not just on an intellectual level – but at the level of heart where they feel hurt just as a person of color might feel hurt mm-hmm. and where so, they're willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of helping someone else feel included and comfortable. And until then, I just have to be very realistic about what to expect from white evangelicalism in terms of progress in Racial justice, racial diversity, and reconciliation. So,
1: yeah, good word, Jamar. Well, we're gonna go ahead and cut our mics off um, and go pray because uh, <laughs> if we keep sitting around here talking about it, you know, we'll we'll talk too much. But thank you guys so much for listening um, to this episode. Again, we want you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We also want you to share it on social media, download it via iTunes and also the Satchel app as well. We want you to follow the podcast on Twitter at underscore Pass the Mic. Reach out to us, tweet us, et cetera. Also want you to join the private Pass the Mic Facebook group on Facebook. Just type in Pass the Mic on Facebook.com and then request to get into the group.
0: Yo, shout out Great. to our new moderators.
1: Yes, shout out to our women moderators who have stepped up huge. We have now more women who are moderating than men, which is awesome. Um, their perspective is just so valuable to us. And so shout out to them. And also shout out to our producer, Bo York, as well. Thank you, Bo, for all that you do. Y'all go download the Satchel app and support Bo. Well, Jamar, until next time.
0: Wait, wait, wait. We got to been... get this right. Because somebody, okay, all right, they all right. were joining us.
1: Okay, oh, all shit. right, all right, all right. All right, so here we go. Here we go. We'll see y'all soon on the next Pass, Pass the, the Mic. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Podastery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's
0: P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.